Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Train Trash Cast. This is uh, our second episode, and I am here with Anna. Hello, everybody. I'm very excited to have you with us today. And I'm reaching out to you today alongside my colleague, Marco Galaviz Luna. And welcome to our trash cast. Welcome to our train of the trash of the cast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Our casting of the trash in the train. This is just an hour of us. Hopefully it's not an hour actually of us. Just talking shit. And hopefully you, you learn a little bit. Talking shit, breaking it down, training the casting of the trash. I like it. All right, so let's get started. So welcome to the second episode of um, the train trash cast. Um, Hopefully we don't get sued for using that name, but we should be in general or in general. Yeah, because we might talk a lot of smack. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. Is there is there any sort of like defamation lawsuits we can get lobbied against us or like fuck the ACLU like. Is that our icebreaker? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any potential to be litigated against? I guess our icebreaker is like, if there's one organization that you can just be like, you disappeared from this earth, that is, quote unquote, a left organization, which organization would just like disappear? All right, I already got mine. I have mine. to pick who would disappear. Uh-huh, just like it doesn't exist. Um, the Red Cross. The Red Cross. Dang. Okay. Are they, are they not good? It was just my first thought. Okay. Mine was like Amnesty International. Yeah. Yeah, They fucking, yeah. That would be. I mean, you know, they ate each other. This is like, yeah. Red Cross also feels. Yeah. Or like, what is it? The the Human Rights Campaign? What do they do? HRC? Nothing. They throw galas, I think. Damn. Man, I want to get paid to throw galas. (sighs) <sighs> all right well if that's any indication of where this episode is going <laughs> this is gonna be us for an hour um venting about um this very big big thing this telenovela is life mm-hmm. like you said mm-hmm. um and i guess we're gonna just start this right off with one of our favorite returning segments made the cut apparently all of y'all really liked it i'm guessing um and you got some reacts Mm-hmm. And this episode, or this does episode, <clears throat> this segment is called Marco Mansplains Memes. And what is it that I do in this episode or in this segment, Anna? Okay, in this segment, Marco Mar- Mansplains Memes, I'm just going to read the meme and then Marco's going to mansplain what it means. It's very straightforward and also a part of our lives. Okay. Because Marco's always mansplaining things in train. Um, we appreciate it. That may or may not be true. It's true. It's a trash cast. Mm -hmm. All right. So this one was posted by Yossi Rey. Do you know anything about Yossi Rey, Marco? Yeah. So Yossi Mael Reyes is a undocumented poet. Um, they are queer and they write some pretty amazing, amazing stuff. I like know of them because we were, um, in the same kind of organizing circles back in the day. Back in the day, I mean, around 2010, 2011, 2012. Although I don't think we've ever personally, like, met. Yeah. Um, okay, so Josie Mars. Um, their Instagram account is Josie Ray. And this is the caption. Who profits from the stories of undocumented people? And the meme is just, uh, it looks like it was from a story that was created really quickly with, like, the pink grid line gradient thing. Um, in the text reads, if your immigration nonprofit doesn't hire undocumented people, is it really advocating for immigrant rights or are you just getting our stories to getting funding to pay your citizen staff and three emojis of a pair of eyes looking left? Very sus. So the side eye emoji. So the side eye emoji. That's me mansplaining that meme to you. Well, thank you for starting early. First reactions. Um, okay, so let's see. I love this meme. Um, also because it's just like kind of a call out post. 
um, to a lot of nonprofits um, who essentially get to profit off of suffering. And I think we briefly mentioned this in our last episode, um, but specifically, this is um, about immigration rights nonprofits. And you and me both, we've both worked with or currently work at immigration rights nonprofits. And essentially, um, what I feel like this meme is saying, it's saying that um, basically to put your money where your mouth is. If you're saying you are working for immigrants, if you're working on behalf of immigrants, then you should also probably be paying immigrants um, for their labor, for their stories, but also as staff and roles of leadership. Like, I think like that's what this ultimately alludes to. And if I know anything, um, which I'm just going to assume where um, Yosimar is coming from, is that when the undocumented youth movement started, a lot of us were essentially asked to share our stories, to share our time um, from these large immigration nonprofits. Um, they essentially wanted us to go and speak in front of cameras. And I say us like the inclusive us because I never spoke in front of a camera. I was never I was never an A student. I was always getting C's and B's. Um, so you weren't meritorious enough to be the face. Nope, not at all. Um, but I was skilled enough to, you know, record uh, and be behind a camera. But yeah, so essentially it kind of stems from that moment where like these large nonprofits started asking undocumented youth to go in front of cameras and to go in front of Congress people, share their stories and basically beg for legislation to pass or beg um, the American people to see them as human. Mm -hmm. And essentially a lot of begging. Um, and that work, that labor, that like cultural capital, I guess that was being amassed by having all these stories, by having all these like um, people that you were able to like um, pull from and be like, look, we're, we're good. You need to like help us. That all that labor was unpaid. Like none of the folks made any money for making any sort of appearances. Um, but these same stories were then being used to go to funders uh, or go to the public and ask for like donations so that you can be like, oh, look, this is who we're helping. This is whose voice we're advocating for. This is like what our work is doing. Um, you should give us more and more money. Um, and I think uh, it's been recently where like a lot of, undocumented youth but also just undocumented people in general have kind of like realized that um they're doing all this work they're sharing all the stories um but they're also literally doing work at these organizations themselves like they could be like doing paperwork they can be organizing they can be creating media and at the end of the day they um, are not the ones who either end up profiting or someone else is making way more money than that person that is generating the wealth for that organization. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of like what that meme is about. Like, it's really interesting because it has a historical aspect to it that I don't know a lot of people may or may not see, but like, yeah, like undocumented youth were being paraded around in front of like cameras in front of Congress people mm -hmm. um, and all of these like big immigration nonprofits like United We Dream, like Rifa. Um, America's voice, they were all using their stories to like be like, give us Fedia, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think this is a direct counter to that being like, hey, you need to pay up. Yeah. And it's just like really calling them out for like who they are. It's like rem reminding them, like, dude, you're supposed to be about this, right? Um, I think a lot of what I heard you say was like, they not only pretended to care about us and they only not only like pretended to do this work for our well-being, but were like directly implicit with like attacks on your well-being. Right. And like your your mental health and like your physical health as well, because like putting you putting anybody um, in the cameras and like can make them a target. We all know that. So. 
The way that I see the meme also is like creating a barrier between like who gets to decide and build the movement. Because if you're actually paying folks and giving credit for tools or um, education tools that like undocumented people come up with, then you're also just like not giving them the space to become um, a leading voice in the movement, right? Like you're blockading them from being able to change systems in a meaningful way while saying that you're changing systems in a meaningful way, right? Um, it also invisibilizes the labor of folks that are actually going through it and the folks that are like actually coming up with like the, the frameworks for thinking around something or approaching solutions. And so when you invisibilize the labor, you also make the movement sort of like mystic. You separate the movement from like where you actually fit in to do the work um, or to understand the work. And then it becomes really easy to become a trend, right? Then it becomes really easy like, oh, they're with United with Dream and they were with United with Dream three years ago. And like, that means that, whoa, we got to give them like this job or like they're the right person to be talking about this stuff on the New York Times. And then this person gets to fucking do their own thing and start charging money to do seminars and start uh, building digital schools and scamming people out of money, right? Like this happens a lot, especially with cis men and especially with, you know, people that think that they know how to honor the knowledge a lot better. And in fact, that's what mansplaining is, right? Like it, it's it's people saying my voice matters more because I am more decentralized from whatever you're saying or my closeness to it matters more than like anything else. Or people will listen to me because I am a man, you know, I am a cis man and people feel safe and I'm trustworthy and there's not a lot of risk involved because probably being a cis man isn't that dangerous in society. So you haven't really, you know, build up any like tough, rough edges. So people look at you and you seem approachable. Yeah. Whereas like, I don't know, like queer folks have to fucking be tough because it's like, we live in a society that's out to destroy them. I think to put that in context with the fact that you're also a person, a man that works right now in a nonprofit environment that has been involved in movement building that you've also, I think, seen how you can weaponize your mansplaining. I've seen some men that I work with um, do the work of seeing my voice get like pushed down, of seeing my voice get shut down and silenced. And then they having to bring up like the things that I've said in the same meeting and having to de facto translate what I say just for it to be considered by the male um, in charge, right? Which tends to be more than one and which tends to be cis and which tends to be straight, which are not- And white. And white, of course. Um, and American born citizens. <laughs> so like there's all these things that like um, inform probably how you think of your own mansplaining. And then at the same time that are true for- for women as well, right? Like the way that they have to think around how your opinion will, in like your voice, will be challenged or not challenged, right? Which is imperative um, to women, especially like queer women of color and like they're Nazis. Um, so the reason why it's important to pay people and legitimize them in the work is because they're saying that the work and the movement and the leadership and the future and the past and all that is and all that isn't belongs to us right and that they're decentering themselves and that they're actually giving us financial compensation as a recognition that this the environment in which we do the work is dangerous it's it causes a lot of injury, mental and physical at times. Actually, most times. Um, there's a lot of substance abuse with folks that work in movement. There's a lot of uh, folks that are in abusive relationships or emotionally 
toxic, right? With colleagues, with, um, with friends. It doesn't even have to be like intimate in the source of like, um, romance and not paying them and not putting them in, in these, uh, positions of, or not putting them in these positions of power, but like, it's like the nonprofit industrial complex gets to write the story rather than people's voices. Right. Um, and that's the problem that it just reinforces capital. It reinforces graduate degrees. It reinforces being able to live on daddy's money to go volunteer at the border for two or three months, you know? Um, so it's a great meme. Yeah. I think it's a, uh, I would say a, not a plus, but a, Oh, we're rating them now. I guess that's a new thing we're doing. Yes. Um, because we have to, everything's a competition. Um, yes, we're rating. You them. need to be legitimized. Yeah, we are legitimizing this meme. And on the train trash cast meme score scale guide, uh, TM, uh, we get an A. Great. Yeah. I don't care what you say because it's not necessarily a meme either. It's kind of just like an Instagram story with text. So, do we want to get into what is a meme? I don't want to cite any meme historians, but I think there's. There's a very loose understanding here that I'll go with for a podcast, but not for an evaluation. Damn. Okay. Okay. All right. I take uh, your, your, what is it? Your generation Z? I don't care. No. I'm a person of integrity is what this is. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Okay. So what do we got next? I think we may have another meme. Oh, do we? Do you want me to bring that one up? Mm-hmm. All right. Um... We got it right here. Now, this next meme that Marco's going to be talking about is also not really a meme in my in my opinion. Not everybody has a Tumblr, Anna, or a Peach, okay? I had a Tumblr since I was 13 years old. Tum I mean, I had one when I was 16. There yeah. you go. I've been on Twitter since 2009. That's 10 Same. solid years. Same. Yeah. Different account, though. I nuked mine, my other account, my first account, because I had tweeted at ICE while I was getting my <laughs> um, citizenship at my ceremony. I was like, at ICE DHS, y'all should have deported me when you had the chance. And I'm pretty sure I got on some list after I tweeted that. This is your next meme. <laughs> I was definitely on a different, like, digital corner than you because, I well, A, I've never had a path to citizenship that became obvious. And even now that, like, I might get like um i might get petitioned right but one of the organizations that i have done work for has been involved with several lawsuits to the trump administration in the past year like let alone probably like eight months um so i'm definitely like worried about putting in a an application and being denied on the basis of like my my tweeting every once in a while that like america should cut off its own dick which it, literally it's on my Twitter account. Damn. I thought I was hardcore. Yeah. No. Maybe, I mean, and by your own, by its own dig, you mean Florida, right? No, no, no. So maybe we could also actually look at that instead of a meme because it's a screenshot of a tweet with a picture attached. And that's exactly what the thing I'm referring to is. Okay. But let's, okay. Let's talk about your tweet then. Yeah. Let's just shut this off. Anna centers herself in this segment. That's fine. That's fine. Because I'm always centering myself as a man. So it's okay. So this is a screenshot from one of the initial debates. I believe it was in. I don't even know where it was. It, it was the one where like they had like eight different people and it was two nights. And it was just perfectly look like. We're giving everybody a chance. Really, it's only three. It's Biden, Warren, and Sanders. Julian and Beto are at the door. They're on their way out. Yeah, they're all assholes. Yeah. Okay, so here is the meme. The picture is a screenshot of Warren and some other random white man who is not Booty Chug. It's someone else. Did and you say Booty Chug? <laughs> I'm so sorry. The... 
I'm just going to move right in. Um, the question on the screen says, should the U.S. tie its own hands by having a policy not to use a nuclear weapon unless another country uses one first? Wait, hold on. That fit on, t- on the TV screen? Well, yeah, yeah. It's like a banner on the bottom. That is a lot of text. That's a lot of text, right? And so that was a question for one of the candidates. And you can see Elizabeth Warren very riled up with her beautifully thin frames. Um Everybody's weird running. Okay, so my tweet is, what is CNN doing asking if the U.S. should tie its own hands? And how come did none of these spineless clowns respond that the U.S. should cut off its own dick? (laughs) (laughs) So I'll definitely have to delete my Twitter account when... Okay, so you want me to explain this meme. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I want you to react to it. Okay, so I think what the author's intention is... um, Not not like it's art school, please. All right, hold on. Hey, look, I went to NYU, okay? I just wanted... Look, all podcast listeners, I went to a very fancy, expensive university that tried kicking me out the second year I was going there because I didn't have enough money to pay for it. So, all right, let's see. <clears throat> this decree to use. Um, so what I think this is, it's a very, you're shooting from the hip. It's a very jerk, knee-jerk reaction because you are like, fuck the U.S. We It should cut off its own dick. And if we all know, Florida... Is it the penis of America? And you're saying we should cut it off, which I agree. We should definitely let Florida go, even though it has Miami. You know, I like Miami. Miami's nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, we should just cut it off as a state. I mean, it did cost Al Gore the election, um, and that's why we got Bush because of Florida. You're really going to blame a state for rigged elections? For fake democracy in this country? You're really going to think that pregnant ballots are what gave us Bush and instilled the empire's agenda even further? Yes. I'm actually going to stand by that because the way that... Because otherwise, then you're being a nihilist and there's no... There's like no solution for this all. Which you might be right, actually. So Al Gore was a solution? Well, no, I think you're right. I think you're right in the sense that, like, we're never going to be able to vote away our own depression. Um, I think um, elections are, I wouldn't say necessarily rigged as much as they don't matter as much as we think they do. Mm-hmm. I think that regardless of the party in power, um, the interests of the ruling class, of uh, rich people, um, are always going to be furthered and there's going to be very little that we can do. So, yeah, so maybe you're right. Um, Al Gore wouldn't be the solution to anything. Um, and elections aren't going to solve anything. Um, but I still stand by that. We should cut Florida off as America's penis. Um, there's a lot of weird shit going on. I know I'm just not about exclusion. I'm not about deportations. What? You were you just said it should cut off its own dick. If we're talking well, about America as like as a, as a, as a country, yeah. So I think for me it's more and like if it's a man because that's what you're mm-hmm, or a person mm-hmm. with a penis. That's what you're assuming mm-hmm. America is. Mm-hmm. And if it has to cut it off, well, where does mm-hmm. it, is it is it mm-hmm. is it a metaphorical mm-hmm. penis? Is it? physical penis mm-hmm. is california the penis well for you it's a it's a physical penis mm-hmm. right for you to really went right away for the phallic like form because you're comfortable imagining that that's fine and then maybe that's like what your mind goes to that's cool marco but let me give you my interpretation of my own tweet you, you can't explain your own meme this is not anna mansplains memes no but this is anna centers herself in this segment so i like that <laughs> so the, for example, when I think about like if America should cut off his own dick and what it would look like, it would not look like um, disenfranchising millions of Floridians, 
from the country or like from the land or the economy or whatever the fuck, right? It would, it actually makes me think of like something that happened in more recent de debates, which was that, you know, I think in, if we're talking about big institutions and big nonprofits, Greenpeace is probably one of the worst um, or probably one of like the least, it, it doesn't save anybody from disappointment, right? So Greenpeace, as messy as they can be, during the most recent debate in Houston, they caught, they did a demonstration on one of these bridges where almost all of the U.S. oil comes in and out. Um, and I think that cutting off like those, doing actions in those places, shutting down these spaces as like where oil, crude oil comes in and out from, right? That like is the basis for automobile dependence, which like has us burning um, gas and oil and whatnot. Um, all of these things is like how the dick is cut, right? Rather so much than like excluding people. It will look like giving the land back. It will look like reparations for like folks, right? It will look like Medicare for all. And this is not a debate that I'm having, even though I sound like a weird politician. And I think the the biggest issue about having debates, and especially that one where there was like two nights for 16 different idiots, what was the point, right? For people to still believe in, in democracy and think that they have a choice, even though they're all Democrats and they're all pieces of shit, they're like, they're all just, they're all just noise, you know? So it should start there, cutting off the noise, cutting off the oil. So very, very metaphorical, but also like you, it seems like what you refer to as America's dick is its oil supply. It's, um, mm -hmm. so I, I would, I would lump also Wall Street into there. Mm -hmm. So basically it's dick, it's capitalism mm -hmm. and really any sort of, um, system that is designed to oppress people. That's what you meant by its dick. Mm -hmm. okay i mean i didn't get that from that meme <laughs> just shooting from the hip apparently yeah but uh it is seems to be very nuanced and i appreciate it because um yeah if that's the case i would love america to cut cut its own dick yeah Let's jump quickly into Texas illegal global apartheid. So what I know about Texas right now is the MPP program mm -hmm. and how it got expanded to the entire border. Woo! And we're the last frontier of that southern border, right? Texas? Yeah. Uh, and we somehow fucking allowed it to happen. I have no idea how we couldn't fight this back. It started in Tijuana. It was messy. It slowly made its way through the southern border all the way into Brownsville, right? The way that, how did this happen is also the same thing how people said about separating families last summer, right? How do we allow this to happen? Whenever they started metering folks at the border, right? Making them wait days, months, turn into days, weeks, turn into months, right? Like whenever they started making folks wait, how did that even start to happen? Camps at the border. And the returning about folks to MPP is that those folks just had absolutely no venue, no legal avenue to really fight their case or no avenue to be put on the media. The big thing about where the money is going in terms of like funding and being trendy and like, what do you do? Is that an organization could have million, multi-million dollar budget and they are still not able to respond in an effective way to things, right? So before we even get to it, let's talk about MPP. So what is MPP? Mexican Protection Protocol. <laughs> it's called Migrant Protection Protocol. Damn it. In a really disgusting play of words, right? We talked about this in the last episode about the euphemisms that Empire uses to say, to dance around the, the oppression that they're responsible for. Um what I've been hearing it called is end migrant persecution protocols because it's what it is. Can we just say fuck Stephen Miller? I think it, it it's easier to say fuck DHS. Okay. 
today, yesterday, and tomorrow. I still don't like Steve Miller. Stephen Miller. I don't fucking know how you pronounce his name. He's white. Fuck that guy. Yeah, fuck him. Google him. He's like 31 years old and looks like he's 50. Um, if there's one thing about disrespecting somebody that you don't like, just don't say their name right. Don't pronounce their name right. Steven Miller. Steph Miller. <laughs> Steph Miller Light. <laughs> uh, fuck Kanye West, but I do remember him saying uh, the Kardashians, and I thought that was such a good, disrespectful, but um, in just delicious way of like disrespecting somebody. Right? I thought I thought you were gonna bring up the fact that he said uh, Bush doesn't care about black people on national TV live. That was bold in a different time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so, so Mexican, so to- no, not Mexican. God damn it, migrant protection protocol. So migrant persecution protocols. <laughs> that's right. So mi- migrant persecution protocols began in Tijuana. They uh, were allowing people to be processed into the processing centers. And before taking some people into their, um, to wait for their asylum interviews or their credible fear interviews, they were doing this pre-interview and figuring out if folks were saying that they were scared to be in Mexico. If you, for any reason, fail to say that you don't want to be in Mexico, that you are fearing persecution in Mexico, that you have suffered um, discrimination in Mexico, you're not uh, you're not like banned from being put in MPP, and then they are they they can put you in there. So folks started being returning to Tijuana. And this whole mess of even the government didn't know how to implement it. The first day that they had um, hearings start happening in the San Diego court, right? Because you have to cross the border. Um, Folks were not even aware of the custody determination being made to bring them into the country, right? Because they're put in MPP, they're returned back to Mexico. Then they have to show up at the border to say, I need to go to my hearing, um, a border patrol officer or a ICE officer, a border patrol officer, um, has to make a determination on like what to do with this person. The first day that this started happening, the CBP officers had no fucking clue, right? A lot of field officers needed to be ca- called in order to the determination to be made. So for a brief moment, folks are given parole, but they, some of them were shackled on their ankles. Some of them were shackled on their hands, some of them both. Um, some people just weren't able to make it because folks at the border, um, some officers just were not allowed to, they didn't know what they were allowed to do or not. They weren't given any instructions on how to handle these folks. So they were returned effectively. Some folks never made it because they really suffered um, some kind of victim of a crime in Mexico, right? Uh, kidnap. Uh, there's a lot of kidnapping um, all across. There's also a lot of... Um, just violence that happens of uh, gender violence and um, gender orientation. So actually I was in Laredo this past month, um, kind of uh, witnessing and listening to a lot of the folks on both sides of the border that are working with a lot of the, the MPP migrants. And a lot of them said that, um, that it's very dangerous for migrants to stay in Mexico especially if quote unquote bad actors know that they are um, on MPP and are um, waiting to enter the U S. So something that doesn't get talked about is that this list, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this list is actually managed by the Mexican authorities. It depends. Yeah, like I've heard um, at Grupos some... Grupos Beta sometimes is in charge of it. Sometimes it's just like a local involved organizer or um, neutral actor, you could call it. Sometimes it's just a person that has been there the longest. Right. And so what I guess some of the cartels are starting to realize is that whoever holds these lists possesses a lot of power. And they are essentially extorting people to either move them up the list or down the list. So if you have 
enough money, you can move up the list. But if you don't have enough money, they just won't won't call you ever. Um, and because these lists are being um, controlled by like not border patrol, not the U.S. government, and it's very easy uh, for a lot of corruption to happen because the U.S. government could just be like, "Well, we didn't, we weren't in charge of that list. We handed off that responsibility to this nonprofit in Mexico, or to this person in Mexico, or to the authorities in Mexico. If they are being corrupt, if they are getting kidnapped." It's all of them. They're the ones who are bad. It's not us. We have no control over that list. And that's what I heard uh, from a lot of the folks who were in Laredo at this convening. Um, and it was really, really eye-opening and just kind of wild how Border Patrol is so close to working with the cartels in terms to curb migration and um, regulate the flow of um migrants and refugees and asylum seekers coming into the u.s and forced labor right yeah because a lot of the folks do end up getting kidnapped and they're forced to put to to work either uh you know like again like a lot of some sort of the operation of the cartels which it can be a lot of different kinds of labor and none of it is worse than the others it's just you can be forced to work yeah and so like that's the type of stuff that really just blew my mind because like it's just it's so appalling that like we're paying for these this like our money as taxpayers goes into paying for these people's salaries who are just really bad or not really bad actually i think this is exactly what they want to happen they're really good at their jobs at deterring migrants and creating suffering like needless suffering uh, to people based on the color of their skin. Like this is, this is what this is about. It's about skin color. It's about culture. It's about language. And it really, it really fucked me up. Like, like a lot. Like I just, I, it, I, it was one of those times where I just felt so helpless because there was nothing that I could do. Like, not get, like, what am I going to do? Like a video about it? Like, so you could write a poem. Right. Yeah, you I mean, art's important. Yes, I get it. Art's important. If not, we wouldn't have art schools and yada, yada, yada. But still, at some point, like, you, yeah. But also, one of the important things that you're doing is, like, you're carrying um, those stories that were shared with you, right, about what happens at the border for people on the list, for people that are being metered. And if you remember those stories and you're hearing about what happens with MPP and being returned to Mexico, remain in Mexico, uh, be wait to be kidnapped in Mexico, then you're also able to um, heighten the or deepen the truth about these stories. And you're able to deepen the truth about your interpretation of not just a policy, but a rule to impose suffering and power upon people's lives. Yeah. And I mean, so I brought up the question that like, how did we allow this to happen? Um, to me, it's really kind of mind boggling because there are so many nonprofits in Texas with millions of dollars in their bank accounts getting all of this funding. And yet there was no concerted effort to try and stop it from expanding into Texas. Like none. I mean, there was a few lawsuits lobbied, but like the Supreme Court, you're not going to win anything there because we obviously know that the Supreme Court is swayed towards um, the conservative side. And yeah, there was no organizing, there was no uh, storytelling, there was no sort of um, kind of campaign to stop that. Um, And it's not to say that organizations at the borders aren't doing anything. I think the organizations at the border are doing amazing work. I just think they're very slammed doing the day-to-day stuff, which means like, because now people can't enter there's all these shelters in mexico that are severely underfunded and severely uh, understaffed and so a lot of the folks in the u.s they have to send supplies send money send staff to go in and help the folks that are out there and it's just very um 
so it's overwhelming for them. It's overwhelming for these orgs at the border um, because they're also not getting the the resources that they need, um, you know, because the resources are being sent sent elsewhere. The money's being funneled elsewhere. I wouldn't say that that's always true for like multi million dollar like nonprofits, right? There's a lot of things that play when it comes to thinking about the day to day and when it comes to thinking about the work at large. So so if you're involved in systems thinking change, if you're actually involved in systems based coalition building, then a lot of the ways that you move around the world and that you respond to attacks from the administration, from these federal agencies, they change and they change substantially. And why are they operating in a way that they're being buried by the system every day? Because they legitimize DHS, ICE, USCIS, CBP as these like monumental forces that have all the power and that are only able to be addressed in very minimal, very contained ways. And that's why people get overwhelmed because they have to continue playing the game as the game is set by them, by the powers that be, rather than being invested in a fight to change it up against them, to actually move around the world differently. They're not involved. They're not involved in doing open borders work. None of these organizations would ever say open borders, right? They're not involved in building movements. They're not even involved really in in sustaining the movement. They are involved in co-opting it. They are involved in being so overwhelmed, but still being able to funnel money into comms. And for what, right? Is it to actually change the day-to-day or just to funnel for more comms? That's like the vicious cycle that folks decide that they need money to fundraise to ask for more money, right? There's not really um, an investment in changing people's lives in and readjusting and giving back power in giving back land in giving back rights there's none of that and that's why that's why they're so overwhelmed and it's also because we make it okay for them to do that because we will as an audience at large we'll put we'll put people on a pedestal that are not taking care of themselves, that are martyrizing themselves for the sole sake of being martyrs because it gets you more funding, because it gets you more donation, it gets you more empathy empathy, and therefore more chances to be on panels, on new series, on radio shows, right? It doesn't actually involve you in the cost of thinking big and really addressing the problem for what it is, which is like empire capitalism capitalism the dick of um, ex like extractive capitalism right right yeah i mean so yeah so i guess i shouldn't be really surprised but i mean like i i just kind of again like a lot of folks were like hey this is coming hey this is coming hey this is coming hey this is coming and yet nothing was done. And that's why I'm just like, whack, because we could have we could have been prepared and we could have done something. But I guess I just I don't know. I don't know. Like, I really like I wish I had an answer for this. And being at this Laredo event really opened my eyes to the fact that there's so many organizations doing amazing work that are completely underfunded or severely underfunded and they are not getting the support that they need to be getting um because they're at the front lines they're actually dealing with folks on the day-to-day and their work is i would say um anti-capitalist um even though they might not call themselves that Mm -hmm. but they are definitely trying to subvert a system that was designed to um not work in their favor and so i think like that's that's why i bring it up because like there's so many great orgs i think it's also a matter of like what we were talking about from the meme from yosimar right Mm -hmm. about 
being open in your allegiance to undocumented folks, being open in your allegiance to folks doing work at the border, being open to your commitment to folks that are about systems changing, to folks that are brave, to folks that are like not playing the funding game. And to be supported, not just not just in finances, right, but also in coalition building. If you're a big organization that can give its name to validate or legitimize another project, then why the fuck don't you, right? If you're helping, if you're noticing that you're just getting donations because your name has been thrown around so much with the words immigration and legal services, then fucking do something about it to share that coverage, right? Yeah, I feel like nonprofits are a beast. Mm -hmm. and they just sometimes detract more than they help. And I think that's detrimental. Are there any good examples of work that's being done? I don't know. I feel like we talk a lot of like just shit never working, but maybe. I mean, I think I did mention works that are doing systems change, right? Right. Um, since the beginning, there's a couple of organizations that have been doing work in Tijuana, Al Otro Lado, of course, but Al Otro Lado doesn't have the benefit of being full of people with super PhDs and graduate degrees that are able to just volunteer some money and like organize the shit out of it, right? Like they have like a bunch of really hardworking, earnest people that want to do their best and that are always in the dirtiest messes of what immigration looks like. They are attached always to people dying, to people having to choose to self-deport because family members are dying, because family members are uh, being born and they need them. Um, so Al Otro Lado is one of them. Detained Migrant Solidarity is also a really great group out of El Paso um, that have historically been doing work even before the separated families to grow bonds, to grow bond funds, to grow um, just practice advisories on how to reach out to senators to help, you know, or congressmen to help folks get out of detention. Um, there's also Innovation Law Lab, who has been doing a lot of work around um, the asylum ban most recently. I don't know if you've heard about it, but um, now you, in order to be considered for asylum, you'll have to have asked for humanitarian relief in Mexico or another of the countries that you went through. You do know that Mexico grants like 1% asylum. Yeah. So like that was one of the, like the staggering statistics that like when I went to Laredo, they were like 1% of all asylum claims in Mex Mexico are like granted. Right. So Innovation Law Lab was one of the first people to put in a lawsuit like the day, like within days of the regulation coming down. Um, there's also just a lot of folks doing climate and just transition work that tend to be really innovative and about systems change. I think Scott Warren with no more deaths in, um, in the, in the deserts and in Arizona, I think that they're really doing work that is important to understand why they got criminalized so quickly, right? just for putting water out in the desert, just to help somebody survive because they are blocking folks from dying and, uh, and doing blood offerings to the evil spirit that's the border, right? To the evil spirit that's like the nation state. Um, so that's fucking wild. And they, uh, I think they're one of the, a solid organization, just, just among many, but I would always look for folks doing... Um, Indigenous resistance and climate and just transition efforts. Nice. You know, way more than I do because I was going to say like grassroots. Yeah. Grassroots leadership, of course, always as well. They're working out of T. Don Hutto um, in the outskirts of Austin. And I just recently learned um, a lot more about T. Don Hutto. Um, and it was disgusting. He's, he was the founder of Geo, right? He's the founder of Geo, and but a former also FBI agent. No. What? I don't know where you got that from. Oh, damn. One of them. He was. He comes from the, the times of prison plantation owner owning. He was a warden of several prison plantations in Arkansas and in Texas. So he knows about this, this free and um, he comes from the school of forced labor uh, in the name of the nation state. So 
grassroots leadership definitely sort of the organizations doing some of the most badass work in Texas and not just in the border, but in the, in the center. Uh, what was, uh, what's the org that Isabel works for? Mm. Sueños Sin Fronteras. Yeah, Sueños Sin Fronteras. Yeah, they do a lot of, what is it, like women's health work? They do all Justice. sorts of work. Yeah, um, just recently I actually was able to link up with them to help with a family separation case, but they do all sorts of things. They connect folks to legal services when they can. They connect folks to uh, temporary housing, um, birth. Abortion services. Pregnancy, um, also, like, if you want to maintain your pregnancy, um, all sorts of things. They're amazing. Sueños sin fronteras de Texas. Um, I would say us, but we've been pretty dormant. Um, we're just providing y'all shit-talking entertainment for the for the meantime. Yeah, I mean, I would say that what we're doing is a little bit of art, a little bit of um, sharing ourselves and our stories with y'all. And you'll be the decider of if this is systems change or not. I hope that at least you can go and see our memes, check out our Instagram page. And I'm Anna, and you can send me a DM if you like or hate anything that I said. I hate several things, so it's okay if you do too. But I also love several things, and it's definitely okay if you do too. If you love the podcast or if you hate the podcast, please find those on Instagram at texas.refugees. That's going to be txs.refugees. Leave us your hate comments, your love comments. Do you have a crush on Marco? Do you maybe have an intellectual crush on me? Let us know. Do you have an intellectual frenemy with us? We'd love to know. We want to have frenemies, enemies, and friends. So, please send us your questions. You can leave them on the comment section of any of our posts. But hopefully, um, y'all ask really good questions. They can be questions about immigration. They can be questions about going to school. They can be questions about being undocumented because both me and Anna, um, at least I was undocumented. Anna is a, is a document. Can I say that? Yes, that's why we're only using my first name. Okay, yes. Uh, yeah, and let's see what else. Now, I don't know how dark I came to be. We can do an entire episode on that. We can do all sorts of things, but also if you know me in private life, don't out me. I am undocumented. I'm talking a lot of shit, and I'm only going by my first name. So help me protect me. Her last name is actually Banana. Yes. Anna Banana, get it? Ha, 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 you did not need to mansplain that.